0: You're in the algorithm, dear. Volatile and highly unpredictable. Mm. Memes, gives. Banknotes.
1: He's a degenerate. This is a random, chaotic sequence of meaningless
0: events. This type is interested in art. I
2: like this. This is like Our science. It's very volatile. Beep, bubble beep bubble.
0: This is like science.
1: Hello,
2: everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Dankness.
1: Dankness.
2: I am Art Gnome.
1: I'm dancing. S- Sickle.
2: Supposed to be weird. Really weird. And we're hosting some of the best minds in the cryptosphere for a conversation <laughs> about their work, their life, and digging into a bit of the crypto mythology.
1: So, you know, when we were talking about putting this together, we were, we were thinking, how can we sort of... You know, mix it up a little bit, get get some answers from our guests that, you know, uh, they, they sort of haven't given everybody else. Uh, so sh- show sides uh, to, to who they are and what they do that, that they don't often talk about in a traditional interview setting. So we came up with our own little s- silly concoction of, uh, of of questions and, and formats to, uh, you know, get to know the artists that make up the cryptosphere uh, in new and, and more perhaps intimate ways.
2: I like it. And I am super psyched, Dan, for today's episode. Uh, we'll be talking Who we got? to my favorite self-described D-Gen, Deez. Maybe D-s. one of the, 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 the nicest guys in the entire community. Um, I was Especially in Deez's fantasy football league last year I spent too much money to get in and Dang play nuts. with the uh, folks that were much better than me but he's just a total sweetheart everyone i know loves D's and uh this i really excited to, to have a chance to learn more about him today Please yes excited to get to it gone.
1: thank you all for coming Seven, today four, third, we give you left. the dankness, the dankness. Weird. really weird
2: Digital art has been historically undervalued. One film is here to set the record straight. Featuring over 100 artists, collectors, and developers, each an important voice in the NFT community, partially funded with the cutest NFT project you've ever seen, Depop Studios
0: presents I'm New Here. Learn more and mint your newbie today at newhere.xyz.
1: And are we back? I think we're back. I think we're back. We're here. In the segment we like to call Show and Tell. Where Art Gnome and I, we, we each choose something or one of us chooses something to share or to show Re- re- relevant to the cryptosphere or not. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we jam on it. We wax on it for a little bit just to get us warmed up. Art gnome. I'm wondering, uh, what you've been thinking about this week, what's going on in, in the world of the gnome?
2: Yeah, man. Well, I mean, it's actually been a little while since we did our last round of, uh, uh episodes. So yeah. lots, lots going on in the personal life and, um, uh, as professional as I get professional life. So, uh, First first thing's important to know I shaved off all my hair and I and I trimmed my beard and nobody recognizes me anymore.
1: He's got a boy and... face under there for everybody who hasn't seen him. Arnaud is actually has a solid like 16-year-old complexion. That that's that skin hasn't seen the sun I don't know in decades it but
2: Well I I am no moisturized.
1: Pores. Ah. Yeah
2: yeah I, I moisturize a lot, and that helps, but you know the I have noticed that the head the headband doesn't really work so well. Morse anymore. Palette. I don't know. it's just like it fit better with the long beard and the long hair. but yeah, so cut all my hair off back up in Massachusetts. Uh, Mrs. Artnome and I were down in Florida for a few months for the winter, which was nice other than um, uh, a car accident that we got into, but everybody's doing doing better on that front and then on the business front. Lots of good stuff going on with Club NFT and right-click save. Actually found out this morning that right-click save just put out its 200th article. So
1: 200. I that's mean, an achievement, that's, man.
2: To put that in perspective, it's been like a year and a half, less than a year and a half, and we pretty Dang. much have Alex Esterick doing this almost entirely by himself. He has um, you know, some help from the rest of us here and there, but Uh, The guy is just uh, amazing. Super lucky to work with him. For folks that don't know, Right Click Save is uh, about culture and Web3s, mostly focused on um, art and NFT culture. So uh, two years ago or so, when I started my company, I felt like, you know, There was a lack of good writing treating this whole NFT crypto art movement with the same level of respect that sort of traditional art and artists and art collectors get. So encourage you to check that out. We're at 200 uh, 200, uh, articles. And then on the Club NFT side, um, some exciting news. So, Dan, as I think you know, um, and for folks that don't know what Club NFT is... I started this company um, two two and a half years ago because, as an early Dang. collector, um, a lot of my NFTs ended up kind of breaking. Um, you know, after that first wave, two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen, and you're talking. On, I learned on a Scribe
1: that... for the most part. Well, what are so some of the chains, that, yeah,
2: yeah. A lot of people don't know, like the OGs that we're collecting in like 2016, 17, and 18. Um, About half the marketplaces went out of business um, by like end of 2018, early 2019. So we're talking like a scribe. um, There was additional... Digital Objects, um, I always forget the other big one, uh, Rare Art Labs, I think was the other one. And like that may not I mean, sound like yeah. a lot, but back then we only had maybe a, a dozen uh, NFT marketplaces. So what we learned when a lot of these went out of business is that the art itself for NFTs doesn't always live on the blockchain. In fact, it almost never does. Like 90% of the time it, it lives somewhere right. else. And um, collectors that don't realize this, they think, oh, I bought an NFT. So like, I don't have to worry. It's like the whole point is like, um, you know, self-custody and like, you know, decentralization. And I don't have to depend on anyone else. Yeah, just like like crypto, right? Like the whole point is to sort of only have to rely on yourself. But indeed, that is almost never the case. So uh, I won't go into all the crazy things we've built, but we essentially built a, a system that allows collectors to back up all of their NFTs so that, they don't lose that connection between the art and the token. Now, there are some NFTs that are built in a way that, that can't be backed up, um, and it's good to go and read and learn about those too. But essentially, I like, spent my entire life for the last two years trying to protect this ecosystem and build the missing tooling to like give collectors control over over their own collection, given how much emotional energy they invest and in, in how much money they've spent and time uh, mm-hmm. in this space and we've been giving it away for for free uh, for the better part of 2 years but yeah
1: go ahead and it, no and it's really easy to do i mean you guys also made it a very very straightforward process for people to to log on and actually back up the stuff that they've put a, a lot of time and and value into you know collecting
2: thanks man yeah I think um, for anyone that's tried to do it manually and there are only a few that are brave enough to have attempted it's it's like you got to be pretty technical to try to back these things up manually and a lot of people don't don't even Not know that match. they need to back them up um, but yeah we're at a point in time where we need to shift and start charging so we went and talked to all of our users and we're like hey you know what's a reasonable price and what sort of additional features would you want and this has been going on for like the last six months or so. And this week we uh, announced the latest version of the software. Super, super excited. So um, we've added valuation. I don't know anyone that collects NFTs may have tried to use other sites for valuation. And um, I'm often disappointed either like whole sections of my NFTs, like get no valuation at all, or the numbers just seem wrong. Totally. I don't know of any any good or bad valuation systems for Tezos side. We're doing Tezos and Ethereum. So we've got that nailed, uh, this awesome dashboard that kind of positions you and your collection relative to other collectors. And yeah, folks can sign up now for like super reasonable price. I don't know if we'll still have the discount by the time this episode goes live. Um, but maybe we can get a special Dankness discount going and, um, I'm optimistic that, you know, the all the work we've done um, for free in the last few years, helping to protect uh, people's collections and get articles out through right-click-save, that the community will come back and support us so that we can keep uh, performing that service. So it feels good. It feels good, man. I'm super proud of the team. feel great about what we're putting out there. The feedback early on is good. We're starting to see people sign up. And like, as you know, with your documentary, all of these ventures where you're like, multi-year ventures where you put like everything into it and you don't really know like if it's going to work like long term like are you going to find a model where people are going to support you in this or appreciate it and be able to move forward there's like we're not out of the woods yet but there's definitely a big sigh of relief that we're moving towards trying to become sustainable um and i just feel really proud and good about what the what the team has done
1: yeah and you know i mean we sort of breezed a little too quickly past right click save because i think that like that's that's also you know i think that these these two you know um organizations really they, they kind of go hand in hand right i mean like i think that that right click save in so many ways and this is not coming from somebody who has has worked or been or written for right click save but i mean it's it's so it's such an important uh, place on the web that to help anybody sort of like understand what's going on here. Um, and, and to start learning about, I mean, not, not just crypto art, but also digital art in general. Like there's just some incredible, incredible writing on there that that sort of throughout the past, you know, several months has, has also given me the language to talk about certain things, um, that, that are happening here. So it's just like, it's an incredible resource. And I like, it's, it's, a uh, yeah it's wild to see I saw your post today about two hundred articles, and I was like like you know not not surprised at all, but I really like it's it's always so impressive how how the team there manages to just keep pumping out like great thoughtful writing you know
2: i I appreciate it, man, that's yeah, so I know I did so you know the the art Gnome blog post um on art and tech for like four or five years that's kind of how I got um, into the space and met a lot of people, or whatever. But that's sort of a different thing, right? That's me, loudmouth art gnome Jason, like expressing my my views, which because I think they're sometimes polarizing, you know, maybe often even get more attention than they should. But like, what impresses me about Alex and RFCs is that, very deep. really, from the beginning, it was about like how do we give everybody in the community a voice and sort of intentionally bring up um, opposing opinions, right? Because this space. Is rich in that way that you know you can find sort of different subsegments within the crypto art and NFT space that that have very different um, philosophies or political views or or backgrounds, and rather than only um, hold one up, um, really trying to create almost a stage to give lots of uh, people an an opportunity to present their view and their work and kind of have dialogue and conversation around it um, has always been the vision, and I, I think it's pretty critical maybe even more so in in the bear market years um, to keeping our culture going and alive. Not that just Absolutely. right click save alone can do that, but like we have to invest our time and energy and money into the culture uh, if we want it to, to be more than just like this footnote or passing um, trend.
1: For sure. And also making sure that like it, it exists in some sort of functional way for like when everybody does show up again, you know, um, which again, then sort of goes back to club NFT too. And like all of like the actual, like it's, it just makes sense. Uh, also speaking as somebody who doesn't work for club NFT, like I, I went there, backed up my NFTs. It was the easiest thing to do. They like literally send you an email telling you when it's done. Um, will absolutely be subscribing to it also Um, just because personally, you know, I've just put a lot of time trying to figure this out for myself, figure out what I like about collecting um, and to, to build my own collection. And, you know, I think like uh, the token is the artwork. Sure. But like, I would be very unhappy if I just didn't have any way of seeing what artwork was attached to certain tokens that are in my wallet in a few years time. So, just if you are if you are collecting if you even have a you know a few hundred dollars, uh, you know in, invested in in you know crypto art or NFTs, like definitely check out Club NFT and what they've got going on, and just do yourself a favor. It's it's similar to the photos on your phone, right? Um, you just want to make sure that they're there. And yeah, Art Gnome has, has done, again, a really good job of thinking ahead to where all of us were at coming into, you know, the space at the end of 2020 future. and 2021, being like willfully, you know, blissfully ignorant. <laughs> um, but he's also, he's been there. Um, and, you know, it's, Art it's is sort of, it's very worth listening to what, what he said.
2: I appreciate that. That means a lot, Dan. Yeah. And I mean, I think the 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 way that I've learned to look at it is like once you stop thinking about whether or not something's going to break and just realize that everything breaks, I mean, it's just entropy. That's the way it is. And you stop asking, is this going to break? And you start asking, how is this going to break? It's kind of shifts the way you look at that, everything, particularly things that you're collecting that are dear to you, that you take care of. So, you know, whether or not you use, um, club NFT, you know, ask yourself the question, like, you know, um, What will it look like when my NFTs break? Not will they break, but when they break, you know, how will they break? Um, Why will they break? What will that look like? And what steps do I need to take, whether I use Club NFT or or otherwise, to make sure that I preserve those? So that would be my ask, um, you know, is that really folks just get more curious um, about the NFTs. Get smart. Get smart about your NFTs.
1: Smart. Back them up. Get a cold wallet. Back them up.
2: Get Smart.
1: And with that... Is there someone at the door? It sounds It sounds like there is somebody at the door. I, I think we have to wrap this up because I guess Deez, Deez is chilling outside and it's a little cold. He's
2: really drilling on the doorbell, man. Deez, he's up. <laughs> he's up, Deez.
1: We will be right back. and let him in. Check but a first, a pre-roll. <laughs> Greetings, all. This is Stella, one of the minds behind the Dankness. And I'm here today with a special message on behalf of
2: Operating System. Are you building something in the space and need a team? Operating System designs products for startups and established brands in the digital art space. Dank. They work with companies that you should be familiar with, like Club NFT, Right Click Save, The Random,
1: and even this podcast. I love it, I love it. So if you want to talk about a project or just chat about art, design, and development, book a discovery call today at operating system.io slash dank. For this very special episode, we have Deez, the self-described degenerate art gambler, collector, and one of the most enigmatic and enthusiastic voices in the crypto art scene. Deez is pseudonymous and known for possessing an incredible collection of NFTs. From CryptoPunks to art blocks, drifter shoots to PFPs like Bored Apes to Killer Acid and XCopy, Rare Pepes and Fake Rares, his taste is broad and encompasses a lot of the best, stickiest projects in the crypto art NFT pantheon. To qualify Deez as a tastemaker seems only partially correct, as he also represents something more dimensional than simply being a tastemaker within the crypto art community. I say this because. He seems like he's living the best version of his reality most days of the week, and a lot of the artists I know consistently single him out as one of the real ones. Even the most critical collectors have high praise for Dee's. In the metaphorical cafeteria of the University of Crypto Art, I imagine that Deez has earned an open invitation to any table he wants to sit at, and that's mostly because he embodies unmatchable vibes. To learn more about Deez, you can find him on Twitter at Deez, D-E-E-Z-E. And there you can find links to his galleries, which I highly suggest checking out, as well as his DGEN diaries, his art editions, his dabbing guide, <laughs> and importantly, links to all of his podcasts. We Do a Little is a great program that's lucky enough to call Deez a host, and I encourage you to check it out there at your leisure. Dank nuts. Today, he is with us. Deez, I, I am super, super stoked that we're finally making this happen, man.
3: That was the nicest intro I've ever gotten. I literally sent you one line. I was like, I don't have a biography. I think you could just say I'm a degenerate art collector. And He's a degenerate. That that was not what I expected. That was so good. So thank you so much for the kind words. Glad to be here. Glad to be vibing with you.
1: I, you know, I, I feel like I, 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 I've been so aware of your, your presence, uh, you know, in, in various communities for, for a while, I've, since I started like learning uh, about what this sort of space these spaces all were about um but i feel like i actually haven't heard kind of like how you fell into this um you know like how how you sort of found yourself here on on the art side of things um and and as as much as you'd like to share i'd love to to sort of get a taste for for what that story
3: is yeah um i could I'll try to keep it brief because sometimes I'll tell this story and I look and I'm like, holy crap, it's been 20 minutes. Um, So (laughs) I will say that originally I got into the crypto space in 2017. Um, I was somebody who was playing video games with eight to 16 hours a day. I was playing at my old job, uh, playing on my phone, playing when I got home and going to bed and just basically doing that over and over again was also um, a struggling daily fantasy sports player, was really into FanDuel, DraftKings, all that stuff. And in 2017, some of my daily fantasy friends were just talking about these crypto tokens and all the money they were making and how much more profitable it was compared to what we were doing with daily fantasy. And I looked at them and I'm like, well, I've been doing better at DFS than you. And why am I not? making as much money. Maybe I need to get into this stuff. So I took all of my money out of DraftKings and Fandle, which was like less than five grand at the time. Like I said, I was a struggling, broke, just graduated college in 2017. And I put it all into Litecoin and Ethereum on Coinbase, not even Coinbase Pro, just ate the fees on the Coinbase app. And within a week, I'm on Binance, I'm on Bitgrail, I'm on um, Cryptopia, Bittrex, what, whatever, exchange i could make an account um you know i was i was going on and i was just buying garbage like i just read what (laughs) loom dart and cred and kobe and a bunch of people on twitter path would talk about and i would just buy it and that december was just a magical time because everything went up a ton and i thought i was a genius and then over 2018 i lost everything i made um and i got really humbled At the time, I think my only idea of NFTs was um, CryptoKitties, and I thought they were fucking stupid, so I just ignored them. I didn't really. I I do remember reading about rare Pepe's. There was like some dude who lived on a boat, and there was an article about him and all the money he made with rare Pepe's. And I was like, I think I missed this. Like, this was happening in like 2017, 2016. I'm late. Like, I'm just gonna ignore this. Um oh, yeah, but pepper. in 2020 fast forward pandemic happens I've been dollar cost averaging into ETH and Tezos for like two years at that point and I was more focused on risk management and trying not to lose the amount I was able to DCA Um, we're, we're working from home I'm in a bunch of telegram groups with friends that I've known for like two years from Twitter now and they're talking about Uniswap I'm like oh, what? what is this Um, so I I make a new MetaMask wallet, um, send two ETH from my DCA stack into it and just start gambling on Uniswap tokens. The first token I ever bought on Uniswap was Alif, Um, and it like six in two weeks, I sold it and just started buying 0.1 to like 0.5 ETH of just absolute garbage. I had no idea what it was. (laughs) Um, there's like attendees token I did well on there was, uh, Xamp or anti-ample by this guy named bill drummond
1: to, to track this to track this though like what what is the what is the ambition at this moment to make money right? they're, they're <laughs>
3: I, I i am somebody I'm working a government job in a low low it, it tier i have uh yeah i went to college for computer science and engineering and after the first year i almost failed out i lost all my financial aid i switched my major to communication technology. Just kind of like a bullshit degree, but it was enough to get me a degree that had technology in it to get me a you know starting help desk job at a government agency and then I was able to work myself up from there um, and I worked at that agency for like four years. so while I was doing that, you know I was probably only doing three hours of work a day and I was uh, I was in the IT office and um, we're on our own virtual we're on our own VLAN which doesn't have any of the filters that the rest of the employees have. So I'm on Binance. I'm on... and Maybe I shouldn't be saying it. Whatever. <laughs> I'm doing all this stuff at You're work. You're on some sites. Like, I'm on Discord <laughs> all shoes. day. Damn. I'm just immersing myself in the crypto space and I'm telling all my coworkers about it. They're getting fucking annoyed. Um, they put in money. It went down. They hated me. And then like when i left the job in 2021 i'm sure they hated me too because they didn't keep buying or listen to me anyway all this being said i did well uniswap summer 2020 and my friend trill was buying a zombie punk for like 15 grand it was around the time when snowfro was selling some of his punks to fund art blocks it's like september october 2020 and um I told Trill, I'm like, I can't buy a zombie. I, you know, risk management's so important. And if a zombie is is 25 or 50% of my net worth right now, like that's just out of the question, but I'll I'll buy a floor punk for $1,200 and and see how it goes. So I bought a floor punk kind of looked like Johnny Bravo. Um, and then I flipped it within a week or two and a light bulb went off in my head. Like, Oh, holy shit. This is like, Uh, I used to play a game called Old School RuneScape. That was one of the games I was playing when I was playing games for eight to 16 hours a day. In that game, I used to market make high end items that were very illiquid. um, And they were essentially (laughs) useless items that people only bought to flex. Um, So So it just, when I looked at Punks, I was like, holy shit, like this is the same thing. Um,
1: What do those look like? What do those items look like? So,
3: in the, there's two versions of RuneScape. There's RuneScape and old school RuneScape. In RuneScape, the version is called a party hat. And the party hats came out in December 2001. (laughs) And they were free for anybody to claim you'd get a Christmas cracker and you use it on a friend. And if you use it on somebody, there's like a chance you get it or a chance they get it. But it was just like a fun thing. Um, And by the mid 2000s, when I'm a teenager, these party hats were thousands of real dollars or like hundreds of millions of RuneScape gold. Wow. Um So I had this like mental model Sorry. of, oh, here is something that came out at one time a long time ago for free that has no utility other than people who are wealthy in the game want to show off that they've made so much money, so they buy this item. And in old school RuneScape, it's slightly different because um, that game got released in 2013 off of a snapshot of the game they took in 2007 and they redeveloped it with more of the old-school state of mind. But the party hats were like a known thing. When they came out in old-school RuneScape, everybody knew that the party hats would be worth a lot, or maybe they would be worth a lot, so everybody hoarded them. And like right now, they're worth nothing. Like they're not even worth five cents. Um, But there's other items in that game called like... I I was a third-age pickaxe. It it was my item, Um, but it was basically people would do what's called a treasure trial, uh, treasure trail. It's like kind of a treasure hunt. Think of it like a lottery ticket and you have like a one in 5,000 chance to get any third age item. And then there's like dozens of third age items. So like you have like a one in 32 or one in 50,000 chance of getting this pickaxe. And the only reason to use the pickaxe is because it looks different than the other ones and is a flex. <laughs> uh,
1: so I would be uh that's like a plot point in mythic quest i think what i think that's a plot point in mythic quest in the tv show oh maybe i don't think i've seen it yeah but anyway but
3: anyway um i'm trying to market make these third age pickings and i would so in runescape there's no open order book like when you're trading on OpenSea or the punk's website you can see all the bids and the asks on runescape you're just kind of guessing Um, and there's some sites that have some data depending on the clients that the people are using, but then some of the clients didn't feed that data. So there was never like a complete data set. So I was just trying to buy them for around 10% under market, but really I was trying to have the highest bid and the lowest ask at the same time with like a 10% spread to the down and the upside, because the people who would buy these items were people who made a ton of money from either killing a rare boss and getting a really rare piece of loot that they sold and then wanted the flex or um, in RuneScape, there's something called the the dual arena or the sand casino. And you could go for basically 50, 50 other people uh, with no rake and just bet. So like somebody might make a billion at the Sand Casino, and they want to flex; they made a billion, so they would pay a ten percent premium. They get the third age pickaxe immediately because they don't care because they just made a ton of money. And I would just try to capture those spreads. So when I got into punks, I took the same mindset and tried to wow. apply it. Of you know, if I can buy this for ten to twenty percent under the market, and it's aesthetic um, and it looks good, and then I can sell it for ten to twenty percent over the market. And I think I flipped like eighty or eighty five punks. Um, but a lot of it was just that same mindset of like, is this something that will, um, maybe get a whale to pay a premium for, because it looks good. And that was my mental model. And, you know, you're in the Punks discord and Snowfro is like, Hey, I'm doing this art blocks thing. Um, feel free to check it out or not. But like, I just sold a bunch of zombies to fund it. And I taught myself how to code during the pandemic. And Snowfroze is the nicest fucking dude ever. Like he was the guy in the Discord answering all of your dumb questions and just being the best vibes, like with a smile on his face, because he genuinely loves the space, the tech, specifically loved punks at the time. I'm sure he still does. Mm -hmm. Um, does, But it was a no-brainer to just like go over to art blocks and see what's going on. And these squiggles were like 0.035. I think I minted 50 of them over the course of like two months because what I would do is I'd make like one or two a day. I'd, I'd do slow gas and I would like queue up a video game and randomly you get the MetaMask ding of like, oh, my transaction went through on way, Like, let me go check it out. And then you might do another one or you might wait till tomorrow. And I just thought Squiggles would be available for a long time. So did he. And it was one of those things where I just <laughs> got lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. So going from uh, punks to Squiggles and early art blocks start taking some of those profits and connecting with some of the artists in the space. And the next thing, you know, I'm just collecting one on um, after talking to artists and things blew up and I was taking like 10, I, I took too much of my profit and bought one but I was, I think I took like 20% of the money I made before taxes, not even after taxes. and was just like buying art. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how I amassed my whole collection. It was just I got lucky on Uniswap, and then started trading punks, and then bought early art blocks, and then got lucky and you know, started turning art. that art into one on one art. Sorry, that was twenty minutes. It's about four eighteen. So I said I wasn't going to try to make that twenty minutes long, but it was. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, no, it was great.
1: Uh, no, it's a really good story. <clears throat> I, I think what I'm what I'm interested in, if we can, is sort of like can you can you break down like how how. These evaluates an idea or, or a piece of art. Like, when do you, when do you know, uh, that, that, that it's resonating with you? When do you know that it's good? When do you know to commit to something that like, you know, might not make sense to a lot of other people at the time?
3: Yeah. I think that's evolved a lot since I first started buying, um, specifically one-on-ones, I guess it changes depending on the type of NFT or the type of art, uh, I'm much more someone who's looking at the PFP side from a trading perspective. And then I'm looking at the generative side. It's kind of like a mix. I'm looking at the generative side from a mix of collecting and trading. And then I'm looking at the one-on-one side just from the, the collecting perspective. So it kind of depends on what I'm buying. But for collecting, it is a mixture of, you know, first off, when I look at the art, does it make me feel something? I think as I've started to collect more and more, I've realized that I need a strong feeling pretty early on to even get the urge to like move forward and connect with the artist if I don't know them already. But if I do know the artist very well and I get a very strong feeling from the piece, then that's when I buy it. But it's kind of a combination of like, do I think this artist is going to create regardless of market conditions? do I think this artist has their head in the right places and the right values to succeed in this space? And like, do I like them as a person? Um, I've got to the point where even if I really like the art, if I don't like the artist as a person, I, I won't buy it or I will buy it with a hundred percent intention to flip it or, or sell it mm. later on. Mm. Um, and that has kind of evolved. I think in the beginning I I was getting so lucky with the rate of appreciation on so much stuff that I would talk to an artist for like 10 minutes on Twitter space. I was like buying their art. And when I looked back after a year of collecting without a strict, um, you know, framework, I I really regretted like 50 to 75% of my purchases. Um, Some of those artists are long gone or have went on to, dilute the living shit out of their supplies or, you know, whatnot. And yeah, so I've, I've been a lot more strict recently or like the last year about collecting, but it makes me feel that much better when I do find something that checks all the boxes because I can just automatically buy it and not think twice. Um,
4: very rare.
3: But yeah, that's so, yeah, sorry. That's kind of how I look at it now.
1: This may, This may come off as a very basic question, but you know, I'm asking again, because the artists that I've spoken to, um, you know, over the course of, of making the film, you know, you've come up in conversation. And again, it's very consistent um, in terms of how they feel about you. And it's, it's always positive. And I, and I mean, I told this to Jason even before we started. I, I literally think you and Art Gnome, like uh, you, you, are, you are the two people that, that we can say sort of through and through people are like, yeah, fuck, I'm, I'm down with them you know and, and that right, baby is super rare that's a mind uh, fuck
3: to me because like yeah. when i entered the space i was reading jason's articles just like rare. getting a basis like i think of the classic article with the homer simpson pepe of like what is crypto art and that's kind of where i send people first um if they For ever sure. ask me like what the fuck's that's going on pepe. here what is Man. this i i think that article is so important and it was written so early um it just was so pre yeah. in a way but so yeah, the, the fact that you and just I compared mean, me to Art Gnome is crazy. I, that's I'm, I'm blushing. Well, and you I mean, can't maybe, see
1: it. <clears throat> maybe he has answers to this too, but <clears throat> I imagine a lot of collectors don't know how to speak to artists. Um, and I'm and I'm asking you specifically because of the relationship that you've you've been able to establish with them. Um, how do you talk to artists? How do you approach them um when when you're talking about you know you mentioned like they're diluting their supply or or you know stuff like that like
3: I never how, give how advice to-, to artists really like the when artists ask me for feedback i I never like to impede my view of the market supply or anything. I just want them to come to whatever um feels right in their gut, basically, like if they think. It should be 100 editions, like it should be 100 editions. If they think it should be 10, it should be 10. Like, I never want to tell them what to do or not to do. I think when I was talking about supply earlier, specifically the open edition meta is what killed it for me. A lot of, um, I think people were a little short sighted in the open edition meta of maybe I have a limited hype window to capitalize on. And, and now, a lot of their demand is satiated
1: in one drop because it was a a big open edition. We're here for the party. I mean, to include it in like the question as a way of sort of generally speaking as to like how you approach people who make art um, and and what sort of conversations like you found are successful in supporting them to do what they do best.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just super inquisitive or curious. Um, So... A lot of my connections came from me hosting Twitter spaces and then anyone who requests, I just bring them up and I would just not drill them with questions, but just, you know, I'm honestly just very curious in their process, the behind the scenes, um, what they're thinking about when they create a piece, what it means to them. And I would just ask them anything off the top of my head and people really like, like artists who... Really care about what they're making. Like, they love conversations like that. They love to dissect the little decisions that went into making the piece, the inspirations behind it. They love that shit. So, when you talk to them about it and you show a genuine curiosity, they just open up and talk all the time. So, for me, it's just like I treat them how I want to be treated and I'm super curious. Um, I'm not somebody who's super proactive, honestly. Like, I'm, if you ask a lot of artists, like, I probably didn't DM them first or like slide in trying to um get a deal or anything. It was mostly like I probably mm. followed them, might have replied to a tweet or two, talked to them on a space, and then it kind of evolved in like into an organic friendship where you know maybe I got their phone number and I text them or call them or they'll FaceTime me when they're doing something to show it off and it's just like it was very unplanned or unstructured. It's just curious and treated them how i wanted to be treated and i showed them that you know i really cared about what they made i didn't just care about their name and the price that they've sold things before and the price that they might be able to sell things in the future um i was just you know i don't know just a good person <laughs> <laughs> treat, treat yeah, for people sure. how you want to be treated like Art. i don't look at any artist as a uh, a money machine or a vending machine or like I'm never trying to get free things or favors like I think a lot of artists came in the space and they sold things to people and then those people expect things from them like I expect nothing after I buy the piece from them like I really enjoy the piece I really enjoy them I really enjoy putting money in their pocket for them to continue creating what they want to create so they don't have to go take commissions or work another job and like let them create what they want to create. Like, I'm not trying to get involved in the, the process and um,
1: all that stuff. Bailey, I feel like you, you have experience speaking with artists too. Um, and again, I, it's such, I feel like it's such a basic thing to sort of return to, but I, I feel like there is kind of this uh, maybe lack of consciousness when we, when we talk about just like the relationship between collectors and artists and sort of like what a healthy one looks like.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, so first off, I think D's probably has like the highest EQ in the entire community. Right. And that's, that's why his relationships with artists and everybody go well, you know, so like simple things, like most people um, really want their chance to talk, but don't really listen too well. Right. And I think that's kind of what D's is hitting on. Like, authentically, sincerely listening to, to an artist um, because you're genuinely interested. Like, you know, if I'm not interested in an artist, I'm not going to seek out a conversation with them, like, which shouldn't be that surprising. And if they seek out one with me, I try to sort of politely um, move to the side of it. But if I'm genuinely interested, it's like, borderline like hero worship for me, right? Like I love art. And if someone's making something that blows my mind, I I think it's probably flattering and exciting to them to hear someone who's like, just genuinely super excited to hear about their process and what they're doing and what their background is. And, you know, it costs nothing to give genuine and sincere compliments. I think sometimes people feel like making someone else feel good or giving a compliment somehow diminishes their supply of, of something like on a video game, like your life support goes down, but like it costs nothing and it makes other people feel really good. Right. And I think sort of sincerely engaging with other people, you know, is, is the way to go with artists. And uh, the other thing that I think these hit on that, people can sense if this is like the beginning of you trying to get a bunch of stuff from them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so if, if you're, if they're an artist is talking to you and they can kind of see through into your brain and it's like, is this person trying to get this work so that like they can be famous themselves or make money down the road or because they expect me to like, you know, have you quote unquote utility. I think there's like an antenna there, you know, and I don't think either of us do sort of famously when I'm getting into a partner or, or uh, sort of a, a relationship or a, a friendship with, with an artist, I'm trying to pay more forward and intentionally not thinking about what's going to happen later. Like I, I'm not trying to make an even deal. I'm just like, I'm, I'm getting this because I love this work and I want to support you. And it's more important to me that the money is going to the artist than that the thing I bought ever has value or whatever. So yeah, that's a little bit of a ramble, but I think, you know, uh, lots to learn from D's in terms of EQ And then the other thing that I love about uh, D's is I get lots and lots, maybe the question I get more than ever, like any other question about uh, this space, particularly from like art world people are like, these aren't our real like real art collectors, right? These are just people that are here to like flip that are just like, you know, they treat these things like tokens or coins or whatever, like these aren't. And I always say like, well, yeah, sure. A lot of people come in like that. And maybe a lot of the people in 2021 that started coming in and collecting heavily kind of had that pedigree or background.
0: But so many of them
2: become like sincere, genuine art collectors and champions of artists. And that's freaking amazing, right? Like the yeah. art world and the, the world of art collectors is going to stay super small if, if we're like, oh, only if you grew up like getting an art history degree or like a family with a shitload of money that collected art. And that's where art collectors are going to come from. That's so myopic. Right. And I think like these to me is like a, a super great example, maybe of someone that kind of was like buying and selling tokens. And it became like a gateway into, into collecting art in a super like sincere way that I think is, is really good for artists.
3: Mm. Yeah. I think that was well put. I, I, Never had the intention to collect art when I joined the crypto space, right? Like it was very much, I'm working a job that I can model out the next 30 years. And if I don't kill myself at 62, I can retire. Um, And that's my life. And when you're staring down the barrel of a loaded gun like that, you need to look for ways out. And when you're young, you're able to take risks and took a bunch of financial risks that paid off in the end. And now I have you know, I don't have too much money, but I am very comfortable. And then I'm like, okay, like I could collect art. Like, you know, my mom's a hairdresser. My dad's a maintenance man. I got the max grants I could get to college because my family is so poor on paper and no one in my family collects art outside of like maybe buying something at a flea market or a TJ Maxx or Marshalls and It was nothing, you know, I didn't grow up loving art or going to museums. I grew up in Northeast Ohio. Our our museum is like the Butler Institute of Art. It's not bad, but I mean, it's not the MoMA and you're not really immersed in that culture. But once I started talking to artists on Twitter spaces and hearing their passion for what they were doing, I just started realizing how much more was there. Like I never had exposure to being able to communicate directly with artists like that at any point in time. And... Yeah, it just got to the point where, like, I, I bought a couple of Samards, Um, They're framed in my house. And then She's awesome. people are coming over and they're asking about it. And I'm telling them the whole story behind the piece, how she makes these composites, where she took each photo. And then, like, the next thing you know, my friends are buying her prints and putting them in their house. And it's like, nobody is asking about the uh, black and white forest I got from Ikea and what artist that was like, that was in my first apartment. It was a $40 really, you know, landscape canvas that went above our couch. But being able to have those stories about what went into the art um, just feels so much better in person when you're connecting with your friends about it, Um, especially like our, our house right now is a good mix of like landscape photography and then like psychedelic killer acid, pop wonder, whatever crazy shit. So there's something there for everybody in in some way or form and it's just really fun to like I have all these artists phone numbers I can call them text them and to to share that with my friends in real life who don't collect art and to get them to appreciate what I've come to appreciate like that feels so fulfilling and I never thought that would happen but it just did and it felt good like the vibe was right so I just kept doing it.
2: Um, What do you yeah. think the, the sort of... Yeah, I was checking yeah. out your collection before we hopped on and noticed what you just described, sort of there's a lot of landscape photography. And then there's very clearly a, a, a second side that's sort of psychedelia and illustration based. Real and, life. At, and at first I was like, well, these are just two totally different sides of these as a collector or whatever. But then I was like, well, maybe... I'm starting to see like overlap but visually they're different but like do you think there's um similar impulses that cause you to collect you know from those two different camps um or or is it sort of fulfilling two different sides of you
3: it might be fulfilling two different sides of me i feel like when i really connected with cath early on and then uh more of the landscape photographers i was really connecting with the adventure and the journey um uh, like You know, some things Kath has done, she'll take a helicopter into like a remote area with some friends and be dropped off for like a week and then just go hike around all these remote locations she scouted on Google Earth. Um, That's never something I would do. I spend 12 hours a day looking at a screen. So, like, being able to feel like I'm there and be a part of that journey, and I get to see the proof of work in a, a sense when you're talking to them and hearing about it. The psychedelic stuff is more, I feel like, visually stimulating and... Talking to those artists is always a, a trip because I'm always asking about like like Killer Acid's a great one. You ask him about his psychedelic use and he'll start talking about like uh, a mushroom trip he had in high school where he couldn't tell anyone in his family that he was on mushrooms. So he's just like in his room losing his fucking it mind uh, and, and stuff like that. And like you connect on that level because I've you know I wasn't in high school when I had my first psychedelic experience. I had my my wife near me. Um, and it was different, but I could still see some of the similarities and obviously in the art itself, it kind of speaks to those psychedelic journeys. And then there's a bunch of pop culture references and a bunch of other stuff. So yeah, maybe they're not as overlapping, but, um, definitely get different things out of them. But I try to like a lot of the colors in our houses are, they're cool. It's like blues, greens. I don't collect a lot of reds. You're not gonna see a lot of reds, yellows, and oranges. You're gonna see a lot of blues, greens, purples. It's kinda of the general vibe I, I have. Um it cool. kind of keeps That's the house cool. like some type of theme, um, rather than yeah. just a bunch of crazy stuff. Cause my, my, my wife is also a little OCD, and like if I am just trying to throw up everything and it's like a rainbow room, it's probably not the vibe. She's probably a little overwhelmed. So. Yeah.
2: It seems like an there is. I mean, so, I mean, maybe it was a stretch, but the journey thing is sort of what connected it for me. I was like, no, there's both like in cats, like landscape works, there's sort of this like journey uh, going somewhere else. And then more of a, a psychological or a psychedelic journey on the other side, maybe that's sur- surfacy and obvious, journey. but I was looking, cause I'm like, even your rare Pepe's, I'm like, well, those are D's style, like you have a D's aesthetic, right? So like there's something between like your your cath uh photography, landscape photography, your pepe's, and your, you know, your um killer acid type uh work that still feel D- fundamentally D's across like all of them. ds But I can't put my it's D's in, but I can't put my my finger on it.
3: Yeah, I mean a lot of my rare Pepe's, like I'm going through I, I don't know how many I have, like 45 maybe. A lot of them are fake rares, actually. They're not real rare peppers but they're from a lot of the artists i already loved like uh zade kersey has a sick one killer acid pop wonder christy glass freed, rick austenbrook jake freed joe peace like the joe peace package claims all well, uh, my Joe's i'll is... never be able to afford one his one-on-ones yeah. but man like package claims basically as close as i can get but yeah i mean it's just collecting so a lot from the people really i like so too like these are deep. artists i liked on eth and I already knew and developed a good relationship, so when they made a fake rare, it was like, and he'd get on that list. Um, but yeah, I do see the overlap.
1: Can you tell us tell us a bit? You know, because again, like going going to uh, your your profile and everything, like clicking through that link tree, I was like, oh, whoa, he has a dabbing guide, and he like it. It sounds like it sounds like there <laughs> there are quite a few projects <laughs> going on. Um, you know in in the land of d's uh can you can you just give us like an overview of like sort of what what you're working on now where where your head is at yeah now, what uh, projects might be? The, the
3: dabbing guide came uh from uh, I, I was posting a gm picture every day and the gm picture was me taking a dab and honestly like i was just too high for the bull run like i made poor decisions so i was too high <laughs> because i was playing into this persona <laughs> that i'm like Oh, Mr. degenerate Stoner, where who needs we? to smoke weed at 10 a.m. so I can post this picture of me smoking weed at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm actually on day five. I'm doing a sober June where I don't do any drugs. Um, so I'm on like day five of no weed right now and feeling good. But so please enjoy. I, I had to put a dabbing guide out because every time I post a picture, people were just like, "What? What is this? Like, is this crack? Is this meth? Like, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "All right, like, <laughs> let me at least specify what's going on here." Uh, you know sadly, uh, the company I used like to work that. for, where yeah. I was the director of vibes, Tesra, uh, just made the difficult decision to dissolve in the bear market and return a very healthy portion of the funds to investors rather than to pivot uh, a few more times in the bear and hope that we make it to the next bull um, so right now i 'm really I have the most free time i 've had since I graduated high school. Um, Working on the We Do a Little pod, I have some art claims that are going to go live later this week. Uh, Each episode has a specific claim for it, and the holders of our NFTs are able to claim those. And I'm going to be leaning into trying to get more sponsorships for the pod, trying to make it more of a um, sustainable revenue-generating thing. Like When it was a part of Tessera, it was very simple. It was like, they're going to incubate it if something ever happens to Tesla, I will get ownership of the pod. But, um, while it was incubated, like I didn't get any of the funds that we made from mints or anything like that all went to the company. So now it's the point where it's like, okay, it's, uh, setting up an LLC and breaking up revenue splits and trying to figure out, you know, how do we at the bare minimum make this break even. And then from there, how do we make it profitable? And, um, yeah, that's what I'll be spending most of my summer on. And I'm, I'm honestly very lucky that I'm in a position to just like, not need to jump into another job and can take my time here because I'm somebody who, once I commit to something, I I commit to it for a while. Like I see a bunch of people in the space and they're on a new project or team every three to six months. And I just. Yeah. I have very little faith in anything they do because I just think they're a serial entrepreneur who's going to jump to uh, a new shiny thing before they see the fruits of their labor. I think a lot of stuff requires two, three, four, five plus years of continual grinding and 1% improvements to actually see results. And if you're jumping to something when you're bored or when you just want to jump ship, like I don't want to be looked at as that guy. So I was with Tesla for almost two years. I joined them in July 2021. And we dissolved the first or second week of May. So I was almost there for two years. And um, the next thing I commit to, I want to make sure that like, I can commit to that for two to four years and feel very confident in it before signing um, the contract. I've, I've had a few people reach out to me about opportunities and they're great, but I don't look at them from like the, oh, I think I can do this for two to four year mark where like I know I could do the podcast for the rest of my life. I love talking to people. I'm very curious. I love asking them questions and I love sharing it with my friends. So it's a no-brainer uh, for me to just kind of focus on the pod and see what we can make happen.
1: I love that. Any Anything that you're looking at in terms of like collecting these days?
3: Yeah, um, I mean, these, this is a few things. Um, recently got a little caught up in the checks ecosystem. I've been friends with Jack for a while and for somehow some reason just like faded things way too much because I didn't understand it and I wasn't curious enough and then like in mid April he came on um one of the Twitter spaces we do and after that it was like oh I got to ask him all the questions I had and I understand everything and I'm an idiot for not having any. Of these. So been a little <laughs> bit more involved in his ecosystem, um very cool. curious as to what's going to be happening with the art blo- uh, the auctions with Sotheby's, whether it's like the punks, the art blocks, they have the three AC liquidations, um, kind of watching that with a close eye. That is something where I'll be watching it more from a trading perspective, I think. I think my generative art bags are pretty packed and, and heavy, and I would be looking for maybe an opportunity to catch momentum. And then on the one-on-one side, I'm I'm collecting a lot in groups. I'm a member of the Met Fund, which is like 15 or 16 people. Um, I'm a member of Megazord, which is just me, NorCal Guy, and then the entity Guppy, which is made of Redbeard, Will Savis, and Zanzibar. And I'm in Neon Dow, which is, you know, more people than the Fun and Megazord combined. <laughs> yeah. And then and I have like two other like Gnosis like... multi-sigs with friends where we co-collect things and like have fucking spreadsheets breaking out who owns what and it's a whole mess. But A lot of the one-on-one art I've been collecting these days is co-collected. The cash flow from 2021 just set delusional expectations for all market participants. And I don't really have the cash flow now to justify buying nearly as many one-on-ones. But I am trying to collect the one-on-ones as a group because I do think there are really good opportunities right now because there aren't that many bidders and collectors so I'm, you know, following all the artists I already collect from looking for deals if I see one, um, but nothing I'm, you know, hunting in particular.
1: Brilliant.
2: Deez, I have to ask. Oh, we're, we're going into the next segment, but I'm going to ask anyway. Um, how do I know if I'm a degen? Like, I, th- I think I might be, but. <laughs>
3: uh, if, you, if you resonate with it, then you probably are. Um, <laughs> I, You probably know if you're a degen, if you're willing to just take chunks of your portfolio and throw it into something that feels good in your gut, even though you don't have a quantifiable um, thesis or edge, but you just yep. think or know yes. deep down that you want to gamble on something or somebody. Um, that, very that's very what very I would say. Degenerate. Like, You just have that okay, gut that feeling. That confirms it. And you're like, yeah, it. I don't know why. I'm you're a definite $110,000 on this Sam Spratt skull, but like every time I talk to Sam Spratt in person, I love him and I want to be a part of this group. So fuck it. I'm going to sell a ringer so and a bang. Fidenza and take the profit post tax to buy one of these skulls. Like that's like, in my head, a DJ move. Um, not something super quantifiable, but the vibe always feels right when I'm around Sam. I've spent hours with him in real life talking about everything under the sun. And I couldn't be happier to spend that much on anything else. So
1: yeah, that's kind There's of some cool cryptic mystery around that project too, that I, I love the skulls of Lucy.
3: Project. Sam is just such a deep and thoughtful thinker. And his mind is unlike any artist I've really met. Um, I think he's so thoughtful and, the way that he acts is very, I don't want to say like calculated because that's probably not the right word, but it, it just everything he does is like, "Wow, you thought about this like hundred percent yeah. deeper than I thought you did. Like if you ask him about um, his Christie's auction with map, for maps and the reason that he chose to go through the auction house and you listen to like the third order effects that he's rattling off, and you're like, "Wow, like okay, you weren't just like, oh, it's Christie's they're big." and maps as a charity that's good let's do it it's like no like you have a whole deep thoughtful understanding of every gear in the system and how each one turns and how that impacts not only how your artwork is perceived and who buys it but also how it impacts your existing community and everything else and um yeah sorry just rambling about how much i love samil stuff
1: (laughs) no i love that I love hearing you talk about artists, man. It's, it's really, it's really special.
3: There's so many artists I love. Like artists are just good people. Like I'm so used to being around people who only care about money and there's definitely artists who only care about money, but you can sniff them out pretty quickly, um, or I can now at this point, maybe I couldn't in 2021, but I I've learned, but I just come from a world where like everyone cares about trying to make the most money possible. And once you get to a certain point, the utility and the money just drops off, like I have a house I never dreamed I could afford. I have a just bought a new car. Like I have, other than retiring my parents and my grandparents, I have everything in life that I could really want right now. Um, and you know, making more money isn't the top of my goals. <laughs> so I don't want to spend time around people who their only goal is making the most amount of money possible. I do want to spend some time around them because they have very valuable insights because that's all they think about. And then I'm able to take 80% of what they think about and apply it to my life and get good results. But I'm not the one who like is going to bed and waking up thinking about interest rates and charts and all that different stuff. Um, I'm just kind of it's not as exciting to me as connecting with people and I think I've always been that way when I look back like I just I like talking to people I like socializing I like connecting people together like oh man like you'd really like this artist like I love when I'm in person at an event and I get to introduce a big anonymous collector who I'm really close with to artists I love who they've never met in real life and then like 80% 80% of the time they go home and they buy a piece from the artist I introduce them to. And that feels more fulfilling than me, like selling art that I bought from that artist for a 10X. Like I'd much rather see another collector who knows what they're doing vibe with the same vibe I do. And then the social proof of them purchasing it and supporting them, like that feels so much better. Um,
1: and yeah. <laughs> with that, we're going to head into 22 questions. But first a pre-roll.
2: Hey gang, it's Artnum. Let's keep it real. Some people just bought NFTs, just like they might have bought a fidget spinner or a pet rock. It's not something they take very seriously. But if you're a serious collector like I am, you know there are a lot of tools that are just missing in the space. I spent the last two years trying to build tools for serious NFT collectors like me. With a Club NFT subscription, you can find out how much your collection is worth, analyze potential risks, create a local backup and pin all your IPFS NFTs. That sounds kind of nerdy, but it's pretty important. Don't worry if you don't know what it means, we can help you out. You can also discover new artists based on your past collecting habits. Join thousands of other collectors who took the jump to managing their collection with Club NFT. And don't forget to let me know what you think because I'd love to hear from you. If you're ready to get serious about collecting, why not try Club NFT? You'll be glad you did. The art business it's very volatile. All right, all right. Now, for everybody's favorite segment on the dankness 22 random questions. 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 This is the segment where. We ask intentionally random questions to our guests to help you learn new and interesting things about them. Very often, our guests have been interviewed by many other people and get a lot of the same questions over and over again, which is not fun for them to answer over and over again and not fun for you to hear over and over again. So we have intentionally picked (laughs) some strange-ass questions to get at other aspects of our guests that maybe you don't know about yet. And we are going to start off. With Dan on question number one
1: for d's Tough question, d s What did you eat for breakfast? So every day
3: for breakfast, I eat three to four scrambled eggs.
1: Nice. We need eggs. Break
2: as many eggs as you like. Always eggs. It's a crypto Always thing. Always eggs. Everyone we have interviewed eats eggs for so breakfast. So for a while, I was intermittent
3: fasting and not eating breakfast. And um, I think... Beginning of April, I got the 4-Hour Body by Tim Ferriss and was taking Mm. some learnings from that and applying it to my own life. And I realized um, maybe intermittent fasting wasn't the best thing for me. So I've just been on this steady three to four eggs every morning and then uh, cutting out some carbs. And I'm the lowest weight I've been since college, so I feel pretty good um (laughs) but yeah dude i
1: need i need you to drop the handbook like
3: yesterday the four hour body it's been out since like 2011 like this book is i
1: just mean the d's handbook like the okay cool like in in june we're gonna do like sober june we're gonna like lose weight (laughs) it's
3: a bear market right so like simplify you you can build um financial wealth in a bull market and you can start planting the seeds for financial wealth in a bear market for the next bull market but like You can work on health in any market and health is wealth. Like there's people who they always say they're like millionaires and billionaires with shitty health. And they're like, I would give up every dollar to be healthy and not sick again. And it's like, all right, like, let me kind of learn from their mistakes. Like I'm around the age of 30. I got a long life ahead of me. Like, let me start giving a shit now because I haven't gave a shit for 30 years. Um, (laughs) And now I'm at a point where the financial stuff is basically covered. And I have more time to focus on other stuff that is maybe even more important than that. So, yeah, that's where I'm at with uh, Sober June and, you know, reading The 4-Hour Body. And it's small stuff. It's like very small changes. It's not I'm in the gym five hours or I'm in the gym one hour a day, five days a week. It's like I'm doing 20 minutes of exercises two to three days a week. I'm walking three to five miles a day while I host Twitter spaces or draft fantasy football lineups and I'm eating healthier. But I'm seeing really nice results off a very small amount of
2: tweaks. Amen Lovely. to that. Yeah, That's yeah. No, I think you were talking nice. earlier about what money can <laughs> and can't buy or what to do once you have money. And I think health is, like the, is the way to go for sure. So uh, amen to that. But exactly. the real question cool. is, what, does, what cool. does your bed look like right now? It's
3: half made. So if you just imagine the comforter being like rolled down halfway and then I got out of bed, it looks like that.
1: So you can like slide back in. Yep,
3: and then just pull the cuff right back over. Uh, M- Mrs. That D's normally like will, will make the bed before she gets into it at night, and then I join after, so it's already made. Um, so God bless <laughs> Mrs. D's.
1: God bless Mrs. D's. God bless. When was the last vacation that you took?
0: Um, that's <sighs> a
3: good question. Not related to an NFT event? I don't know. Um, 2021... 2021- no. 2021 summer, I went and visited Ice Bags, the last week of August. And it was both the best and the worst trip of my life because it's the best trip of my life because I got a lot of good advice and some wisdom and we had a beautiful time on beaches and boats. But it was the worst trip of my life because while I was in the Uber to the airport, uh, it was like 6.30 a.m. I remember it like it was yesterday. I got the alert that Visa bought a CryptoPunk. And I just knew like, There's a part of me who wanted the Uber to turn around and I wanted to go home because I knew in my gut, it was like a degen move. I'm like, I have 200, 300 (laughs) liquid ETH right now. I should just be buying the floor punks. Like they're like 50 ETH. And then by the end of the week, when I got back home, because I never travel with my private keys, right? Like I'm always super paranoid about security. I'll keep like five ETH on my phone just in case something happens, but I don't want a, a big amount on me. And um, that was the one moment where I am like, I've never seen a more obvious degenerate buy signal than to like shove all my <laughs> chips in, but I committed to this trip. So I'm not gonna not commit to it. Uh, but yeah, I think Love it. we'll be going on vacation here at the end of July. Um, and that'll be maybe my first one. I guess other vacations just include like going to visit uh, the in-laws across the country. But I don't know if that's as much as a vacation. Like me and Mrs. D's haven't really just taken a vacation by ourselves to relax it's always like after an nft event in miami we might stay there for an extra couple days to hang out and vibe but it's not like we plan to go there specifically for vacation
1: for sure miami
2: Miami. right on so how old were you Dee's, when you received your first computer
3: um so i remember we had a computer in the house like by 1998 or so, which I would have been like five or six. Uh, but I didn't get my first computer until I was nine in like 2002. Uh, my mom basically handed me down her old computer. And then I had that same computer until 2012. Um, we, we never upgraded, so.
1: Mm.
2: Do you remember what kind of computer it was? It was just
3: like a cheap Dell that you could have bought from Best Buy. Just like a standard nice. dell tower it didn't even have a graphics Super card like i couldn't play world of warcraft or League of legends or starcraft uh, or anything uh, that's why i played runescape because runescape worked in a browser it just ran off java so it was like kind of i was constrained to uh mini clip and addicting games or or runescape and obviously i was going to choose runescape because it was the one where i could log in and make friends and train a character for hours and hours and hours of time
2: pickaxe oh yeah pickaxes uh, third age age pickaxe is that what it is (laughs) yeah there weren't third age
3: pickaxes when i started playing it was like i did the most inefficient shit i was like in fifth grade maybe even a little younger and i would just take the most inefficient routes like it was all it was very like i was lindy walking through the game there was no plan (laughs) i was just like i'm gonna walk to the other town and like follow someone around and then i'm gonna sell all my shit to the general store and put that little bit of gold in the bank and then maybe do it again and it was just like (laughs) i was just enjoying being a third like i don't know enjoyed being a character in an open world where i could just do whatever i wanted but i had like no plan or uh there was no trading back then or if i was trading i was more doing the gambling stuff and losing it like i've always been a gambler Uh, My my family, especially on my mom's side, they're just degenerate gamblers. It's like they're trying to solve the lottery. Like they're watching YouTube videos on numerology (laughs) to solve the lottery. They're going to the casino every weekend and throwing rent payments on black or red. They're starting businesses without modeling anything and then declaring bankruptcy. Like I learned a lot of what not to do (laughs) when it comes to risk (laughs) management through them, but then yeah. I also made the same mistakes myself and had to learn it again. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a tangent there.
2: <laughs> no, that's Ooh. great. That's why we have these questions.
1: Who Who's your favorite writer, author, or speaker, generally or of the moment? Probably Walter Isaacson. Um, his
3: biographies on like Ben Franklin and Da Vinci and Steve Jobs, I think, have had a, a pretty big impact on me think um, when you get to look at some of the most successful people of all time and study their habits and mindsets and their life, you get to see, you know, nobody is ever perfect. And a lot of times when we look at people, we only look at their strengths or we put their strengths on a pedestal without properly evaluating their weaknesses. And I think those books kind of taught me that like, and this goes back to video games too, like every person is kind of born with a certain amount of attribute points. Like, let's just say you have 100 attribute points. And if, like, 90 of your attribute points are in intelligent, like, you're probably lacking really hard in other areas. Um, There's nobody who just has 100 points in everything. Like, that in human history hasn't been a thing. Um, So I think reading those books and getting a realistic... Um, take on some of the people who are looked up as like gods or goats or the best at what they did Uh, It's just really impactful. And then I guess for speaker going off of Walter Isaacson, there's this podcast I really like called founders and the the guy's name is David Senra, but he basically reads biographies and then does a podcast on the biography he read. So it's like a one to two hour audio version of his notes of a biography he read. Um, So, I guess I'm just really into learning about people who came before us, things they did that made them successful, some of their weaknesses. And it's just interesting to to learn about and maybe apply to my own life.
2: Yeah. I like your allotment of points. Like uh, people that appear to be perfect or just overly confident scare the shit out of me oh, because I know there's a counterbalance, right? You know, there's a counterbalance there, right? You know, um, so yeah, if, and if you don't know what that counterbalance is, you know what the flaws are, then you have to wonder if it's when in, if and when it'll crop up. Um so important question, air hockey or foosball? Probably air hockey. Yeah, air hockey over foosball. And then mini golf or ping pong/table slash table tennis? Mini depending golf. On how you, yeah, mini golf. For any reason on mini exactly. golf over a ping pong?
3: mini golf i'm against myself and yeah. ping pong i'm against somebody else and i i like the fact that with mini golf it's like i just i i am against other people in the sense that i'm trying to get a lower score but i'm not like volleying every two seconds with them or every second it, it's much more of like a mental game and i also just think like being outside for mini golf is really fun especially when you have some of those like windmill looking things where you gotta like time a moving object and hit it in a hole and then you're kind of relying on the randomness of like the ball being shit out of tube and bouncing around like i like that more i, I just get my ass and table tennis um, I, i'm not a very athletic person so i i'm a very competitive person but i'm not athletic so it creates an interesting dynamic where i have this dissonance of like I'm just getting my ass kicked, but I'm competitive, but I'm not getting so I I have always been more of like a mini golfer over a table tenniser.
1: Dees, what was what's your favorite animated series as a child? Probably Dexter's Lab. Ah, no one's mentioned Dexter. Dexter's the best. It's true. G- Gendy, I'm
3: going to botch his last name. Takarsky or Takovsky or the-, the guy who made Dexter's Lab, who also made Powerpuff Girls, who also made Samurai Jack, who also made the show Primal on HBO. Primal Primal is fantastic. It's so They don't even yeah. fucking talk, and it's one of the most like engaging, thrilling animated series ever. That dude is just a genius. Stunning, yeah. I-, I love everything he did. At the time as a kid, I didn't catch like, of what was going on in the dialogue, but then going back and listening to it like five, 10 years ago and rewatching Dexter's lab and Powerpuff Girls and Samurai Jack was like, wow, there was like a lot more deeper stuff here to unpack. And I just have a really big bias for the cartoon network ecosystem.
2: Love it. I'm going to jump around here on the stand because I want to make sure we get this one in because it's one of my favorites. And I feel like we're going to get a good answer on this D's. So worst job ever?
3: That I've had or that I can imagine?
2: Yeah. Worst job that you've had? Yeah. I was a uh,
3: fencing assistant my my freshman summer. So I mentioned that I um, was failing out of school and I lost all my financial aid. So... We have a family friend who owns a company that builds agricultural and equine fences in Western Pennsylvania. And I signed up to help him for $9 an hour. And I'd wake up at 5 a.m., get ready, drive to his house, pack up the trailer with these eight to 10 foot long fencing posts, all the spools of wire, all the equipment. And then we'd go to the job site around 637 whenever we were packed up, would just all day manual labor, dropping posts or ripping out old posts if we had to dismantle the old fence, doing all that shit. And then we'd get back to his place at like 5, 5.30. I would leave after we unpacked the car at 6, and then I'd get home at like 6.37. And I'd be so dead that like I'd eat dinner and hang out for an hour or two, go to bed and do it again. But I did that for a summer, and it really taught me that I needed to get my shit together when I was in school. I, I knew that if I had to work a physical labor job, I wasn't going to make it. It goes back to me being non-athletic. Um, I, I just don't have it in me to, to be a physical laborer. And that job really pushed, like I was in the best shape of my life after that summer because I was out all day for like 12 hours a day working. But um, I was pretty miserable mentally because I just had no time to do what I wanted to do. So that was my, my least favorite job before that i was a lot assistant on a car lot so i would like wash cars clean up oil spills move cars that wasn't too bad uh not nearly as bad as like being a fencing assistant where you're just pushing your body
2: all day yeah i i do like the title though because when you said you were a fencing assistant my first thought was like oh yeah like i'm a sparring partner like
3: Like, i'm just getting my ass kicked (laughs) out there i'm like a test test (laughs) dummy so so
2: so I was totally ready for the story about how you were like a fencing assistant. Like, Oh, no, I'm just getting my ass like, kicked no. over and over. I'm a human
1: punching yeah. bag. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that, that would probably be worse. Um, maybe if the hours weren't as long, it wouldn't have been worse. But it was more the combination of like, you know, 12 to 14 hours of my day or burnt. And on top of that, I'm making $9 an hour and I'm taxed on it.
1: Uh, and it's like what's the point? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like for Sure. D's, who, who in the world would you like to meet but haven't?
3: Yeah, that's a tough question. That's one of the ones I don't have an answer pre-ready for. Um, I'm assuming it would be somebody alive, right? Like, I can't go back and meet someone dead.
1: You can meet somebody dead for sure.
3: If I can meet someone dead, I have to say Jesus Christ. Like, that probably sounds like a really silly or uh, cliche answer, but like, Gotta meet this dude who had such a big impact on people <laughs> that we, um, to this day worship his sacrifices. Like, it's like a super Lindy religion oh, yeah, that sure. would be really interesting to go back. Uh, if maybe even if uh, you go back to like Egyptian times and meet like maybe not King Tut, but one of the more famous pharaohs or something, would be cool.
1: Uh, or moses yeah, like, um, yeah moses. you know fighting the pharaoh and like that moment it's kind of and then like yeah people who are
3: alive i it's tough like i don't <laughs> probably probably should have a better answer for people who are alive but i i feel very fortunate that i've been able to like meet most of the people i've wanted to meet um or you know they always say never meet your heroes. That's probably why I don't want to meet anyone who's alive because I'm just going to realize they're not the person I, I held them up to that high pedestals to. So, yeah, I don't really have an answer for who I would meet now.
2: Well, if G- Jesus, if you're listening to the podcast, um, you know, Deez is a fan and interested in meeting I'd probably you, say so Andy Reid like
3: if I had to, to pick a person. I, I feel like
2: Andy Reid, like the football coach. The coach for the, 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 football coach? the Chiefs.
3: That would be, I'd want him on like the podcast for two hours. And I would just want to talk to him about his life because I feel like he's an incredible leader who's also very humble and like principled and good vibes. And he's clearly had success with multiple organizations, multiple different groups of people. And I would just like to to pick his brain on the leadership stuff and, and being a coach.
2: He's the one with the cool mustache. Yeah, yeah he's duties. like the... Is that right? he went, my favorite he, thing about
3: Andy Reid is if you look up, like, Andy oh. Reid, punt, pass, kick, teenager, he has this, like, video of him when he was 13 throwing like you know how they have like those kid competitions like who can throw the ball the furthest who can punt it the furthest like andy reed at the age of 13 looked bigger and more built than like (laughs) all the adults i know in real life like he's just double the size of every other 13 year old he's like crazy jeans but yeah anyway shout out andy reed i i think i i listen to the kelsey brothers podcast a lot jason and travis they have a pod and i mean obviously um Travis plays for the Chiefs under Andy Reid and says so many nice things about him. So that probably kind of subconsciously biases my opinion there, because that's probably the only sports pod I listen to regularly.
2: Nice. Um, What is your favorite era of art, Deez?
3: Probably Impressionism. I think once I went to the MoMA and saw the Water Lilies in person and just how big everything was and all of the little detail that went into all the strokes that you can't comprehend on a computer screen. I I really like how they went away from like being realistic to going off how you feel, Um, you know, a big on vibes and and feelings. So I would say impressionism, even though I'm sure that's an answer a lot of people say.
2: No, I don't think so.
1: It's been pretty pretty diverse. diverse. Nice, okay. All the art. When, When was your first psychedelic experience?
3: My first psychedelic experience was in 2021. Um, it was the summer.
1: That was trippy. <laughs> it was
3: the summer that I left my full time job and started working for Tessera. I was microdosing mushrooms for a month. I was taking a quarter gram or an eighth of a gram every two to three days and just like working my old job um, <laughs> where I would just work from home and do my two to three hours of work a day. And before I left that job, I had never had a, um, we'll just say like a hero's dose. And shortly after I got the job working in web three for fractional at the time, I decided I was just going to eat an eighth on a Saturday morning. And I went for a wild ride and went on my own hero's journey. And I think, um, looking back, I always like to, you know, caution people not to go from microdosing to eating an eighth of mushrooms, but it really did change how I looked at life. Like, uh, you feel ego death when you take a hero's dose and that ego death kind of feels like you've died. Uh, and you come back to life with this newfound gratitude or thankfulness for being alive and the experience that we get as a human being. Like you realize that nobody owes you anything. Life is extremely fragile. It can all end in a fucking blink of an eye. You just walk outside and a car might not see you and just clip you. Um, uh, you don't know, but it just made me much more thankful for each day. Um, And yeah, that was only two years ago, two summers ago.
2: I love how um, hallucinogenics have evolved you know I mean I started in the late 90s or whatever I'm a little bit older and we would just gobble down random things that people had in tinfoil <laughs> but now people are like well I I I, might, I, I, I I, I, microdosed and then I eventually did this and I had this we would just be well, like hey eat this you know and people like, like is <laughs> and it in tinfoil <laughs> the, the walls would start melting and you're just like what was that like, I don't know you know but I think people are a lot smarter about it um, now which is good you Shouldn't just randomly eat things people give you in tinfoil. Yeah, we're seeing I learned like, that the hard oh, way my in my the house 90s. House there's a house good house. amount of
3: research, too, that is showing that there are medical reasons to use psychedelics. Um, it's not just a recreational drug that people are taking because they either want to escape reality or, or feel good in the moment, but it is like a brain neuron pathway shifting drug that gives you brand new perspectives on your life and the people around you in a way that is really hard to explain until you feel it. Um, yeah, (laughs) it's, I I never want to like be the guy who's like, I, I always think of my, my, I have a 16 year old brother and a 16 year old sister and then a sister who's 13 and I try to be a good role model for them. And when I was doing my GM stuff, um, you know, my brother got caught with a vape and he's like fourteen. And it's like, yeah, you don't need to be vaping weed when you're fourteen. Like I had to kind of recalibrate how I was acting publicly so that my siblings were not thinking that the path to success is posting yourself doing drugs on the internet. For sure. Um and that was smart. You know, that took some introspection to to do that. But yeah, it's one of those things when I'm saying with psychedelics or weed or whatever, it's like I just want to caveat with You know, you want to be really thoughtful about your drug use. You don't want to just be abusing drugs for recreational purposes. I tried abusing mushrooms to see what it would look like. I spent um, basically five days between Christmas and New Year's in 2021 going into 2022, tripping my balls off. And by the end of the five days, I thought I was in like inception level dreams and I had to get out of them. And I had to have my like wife move our guns because... I thought I had to shoot myself right. to get out of these dreams because I couldn't uh, discern reality from what was in my head. And then ever since that experience, I've been a lot more careful and intentful with psychedelics. And I'd rather just other people learn from my mistakes and not fall into that rabbit hole of, oh, just like do some drugs and open do up anything. your mind. Um, yeah.
1: But yeah, I just want to. Yeah, no, it's, it's smart to be intentional about it. Definitely. Uh, Very smart.
2: what are some things about you or an aspect about your personality that you think most people don't know?
3: Um, I'm introverted. (laughs) I I think of the like, or maybe antisocial extrovert is the right word, or I'm introverted, one of the two. But I, I actually need a lot of time by myself to recharge. I am social, but I think a lot of people just think of me as like an extrovert who gets a lot of energy when I'm around a bunch of people. And I don't, I'm I'm very tired out after NFT events when I'm around 20, 40, 60 people in a room for three to five days in a row. Like that's just too much energy for me. And I I just go home and recharge. I might drop off the grid for a bit where I only tweet a few times a day and I don't host spaces. And that's just for me to kind of get my energy back. And I think a lot of people just expect that I'm this extrovert who can just always be on, Um, but I'm actually pretty introverted.
1: You crave in a moment, alone in a day. What's one piece of art that you'd like to own, but you don't?
3: Uh, can it be in a museum? It can be anything.
1: Yeah, it can be anything. Yeah. It
3: would be The Eternal City by Peter Bloom, and it's in the MoMA right now.
2: I don't think I know that piece. I, I that. never knew
3: the piece, and I went through the MoMA in... It was 2021, NFT NYC. was my first trip to the MoMA. And I went... Looked at the dollies and the Monet's and everything. But this piece, The Eternal City, just captured me for like 10 minutes. Um, it's this piece that was made around World War II. It has some pretty big invasion slash like fascist vibes. There's kind of this um, jack-in-the-box that maybe resembles Mussolini or one of the dictators coming out of the foreground in the bottom yeah. right. And then there's kind of this like very dark tone underground like you can kind of see to me it kind of almost looks like mafia or like people who are in the uh the gray area and then you have like a gypsy off to the left and you have in the very like it 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 kills everything like or not kills wasn't the right word like everything about it is awesome like the landscape in it the the mountains and the trees and all that is beautiful and then it's telling the story you can see the hometown people kind of being overran by outsiders and you see there like in the foreground i believe to the left is like maybe a greek or roman pillar that has now crumbled and it's showing kind of how a lot of culture is destroyed when there's wars and invasions and it just hit me so hard i just sat there i was like bringing people over to it because i went to the moment like 20 people and i'm like have you seen this shit like come over here like it's like no one ever taught me about the Eternal City in any uh, class I've ever had on art or anything. But when I saw it in person, like the colors fit my style, like the bright um, blue and green and then kind of the, the red coming out of the base of the jack-o'-lantern. But there's still a lot of like cool undertones. It just captured me. So that would be the piece that I would want my house because it's the, it's, beautiful, yeah. it's the piece. I've been to a good amount of museums since then and I've never felt that way when looking at a piece of art.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, I totally know that feeling. Um, all right, here's a big one. What's your ideal afterlife scenario?
3: That's a good one. I think reincarnation
2: with... No
3: knowledge or remembering of the past life is what I think would be ideal. Or maybe not ideal, but that's right. what I think would make the most sense. It's like your matter kind of decomposes back into the earth. None of your matter is like created or destroyed. It's just shifting forms. And, you know, to come back into something else that you have no recollection of seems kind of natural. It, it kind of reminds me of the mushroom trip I had where you know you feel like you die and you come back to life, but you do have a recollection. I could see death being like, you feel like you die, you die, and then you're just a new thing, but you have no idea what you were in your past. Um, I think oh, that's yeah. freeing. Like I don't want to be an immortal, eternal being. Um, I think there's something that is freeing about the finite, finiteness of our existence and to go against that would feel weird. Like, I don't know, like something about it being finite gives it meaning. And then to restart over is something else that you don't know is like you get to develop meaning in a whole new way and kind of exist forever, even though you don't
1: realize it.
0: I understand.
1: You know, every time we hit that question, I'm like, that's sort of like, I feel like that's always where we want to leave it, right?
2: <laughs> it would uh, uh, be hard to. Well, oh, no, you know what? Just because you said that, Dan, I'm gonna go out of sequence. What's your favorite pizza no. topping?
0: <laughs> um,
3: I mean, I'm a very plain guy. It's normally pepperoni or margarita pizza. Um, if I'm feeling really out there, I like to do bacon and banana pepper. That's a nice combo. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's pepperoni or bacon and banana pepper.
2: Yeah, I need to end on a big question like that one.
1: For sure. It's hyper meaningful. You know, D's, it's it's been like so, so refreshing to chat with you. Uh, it's, it's great to know that there are collectors and, and people like you, uh, you know, in, in the crypto art scene still playing around, still feeling tickled by it, still tickling others. Um, I, I don't even know how many questions we got to, but uh, it's, it's, it's been so real. Thank you for, for hanging with us today.
3: Oh, thank you for having me. I feel like uh, we just scratched the surface. There's a lot to to talk about. So appreciate you guys. You're gonna have
1: to come back, dude. We're gonna have to have you back on the Dankness soon.
3: Anytime, man. I'm I'm available. So anytime you want to dive into stuff, let me know. I'm in.
1: Brilliant. Thanks, brother. This has been wonderful, uh, we man. Have a-
3: thank you guys so much for inviting me on. Really, I mean, Jason in particular, been following you for so long, and I, I just think you're such a good leader in the space. Um, you kind of embody everything that crypto art should be. Um, Maybe not everything it is right now, but I think you are (laughs) the um, embodiment of like pure good vibes crypto art. So this has just been awesome to get to talk to you. Dan, nice to finally put a face to your name. We've been in chat rooms and a whole bunch of other smaller things together but i have never i don't think met in person or not gotten not to speak in voice so it's nice to put a face to the name and get to talk to you too
1: absolutely man thank you so I much really for appreciate coming it by. yeah thank you everyone stick around for a little bit we have a little bit more today's episode but first a pre-roll
0: Benjamin. I'm a 13-year-old schoolboy from London, fascinated by the world of cryptocurrencies. Last year, I launched my own NFT project called Real Bells, and it went viral. As a young person who is growing up in these rapidly changing times, it's extremely important to document the crypto art and digital assets movement, and that's why I'm honoured to be a part of New Here. New Here is both a film and an NFT project, by Dan Sickles, which aims to capture the stories within the crypto art movement, featuring some of the greatest minds within the space, such as Tyler Hobbs, G Money, Claire Silver and Snowthrone. There's three ways you can get involved in the project. The first is to head over to their Twitter and give them a follow. The second is to jump into our Discord, where we have an extremely vibrant community. And the last is to make a new reality, which you can do so to support the project. Or at newhere.xyz.
1: dot I love it. Yo, that was a trip want to thank our guest, Deez, for coming by today. Thank you so, so much for, for spending your time with us.
2: And I'm pretty sure everybody who's anybody on Twitter already follows Deez on Twitter, so this feels a little redundant. But make sure to follow him at Deez, at D-E-E-Z-E, um, if you're not already. And if you're not already, I'm then, then that. what's what's that. wrong with you?
1: <laughs> much love, that. To Stella with the Dank Tones. Love to Flood for his incredible graphic work with the Dank Tones. Be sure to check them out on async.art. And as always, you can find
2: us on the interwebs at thedankness.xyz, newhere.xyz, That's right, and clubnft.com. Yeah.
1: You can That's also right. catch
2: us on our personal accounts at ArtNome. That's at A-R-T-N-O-M-E And at Dan Sickles That's at D-A-N underscore S-I-C-K-L-E-S So at Dan underscore Sickles
1: Without further ado I'm really going to miss y'all But in the meantime Art Nome and I sincerely hope You have an absolutely Dank day Stella Take us out
0: Thank notes Banknotes? notes.
4: Bank yep! Degenerates!
0: Flood and Stella are
4: audio visual artists collaborating to make waves in the Dinkiverse with their trippy, acid infused art project called the Dinktones. They have been super busy lately, working around the clock to create some mind-bending image composition NFT art that's about to turn heads in the community. They're hitting all the retro music store vibes, the podcast cover art includes stickers, holographics, shrink wrap, and even some redacted sound effects. Yes, you heard that right, this wild duo is bringing back physical media vibes in a big way with this release but it's not just the medium that's impressive, it's the audio visual art itself. Flood and Stella's art is truly something special with bright, bold colors and intricate patterns and zany sound effects that will have you feeling like you're tripping on acid. So if you're a fan of NFT art and you're looking for something a little bit different, definitely check out Flood and Stella's The Daytones project. Thanks for your time. Have a dank 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 dank